0: This is Scott with Leading Edge Archery, and we are here with the podcast. Um, we've got a great guest today. We're lucky to have her on. Um, she is on an absolute tear throughout the archery world right now. Um, none other than Mrs. Paige Pierce. Paige, how you doing? Hey guys. You
1: doing all right? I'm good. How are, yeah, I'm good. How are you guys doing?
0: We are uh, middle of work day, and me and Bridger are not <laughs> on the counter, so they're probably freaking out right now. <laughs> what <Would> you do? <not? laughs> think they can handle
2: themselves. well it was slow today so if we leave that means the business will pick up yeah there you go make more money that way (laughs) maybe a little bit
0: but yeah anyways uh, uh, we're excited page I mean we have been uh, at least following you now for the for this year and you have been on an absolute just crushing people worldwide and um, we're excited to talk to you about that you know we have a lot of uh, young female archers also that follow everything that you do and which is awesome so they're really they're gonna be excited to hear from you and we're gonna talk a little bit about you know go through the normal cliche setups and stuff like that but maybe get into the weeds on your tournament preparation and stuff like talk about your tournament year so far and and kind of where you're going to be heading in the next in the future maybe in the next year five years and and what do you think it looks like and then i you know one of the things that i'm really interested in talking to her about is like the state of archery because uh you know, you hear a lot of different things about that, you know, whether archery is going downhills, going uphill. I mean, I've heard it all and I just don't see some of the things that I'm hearing and maybe get your take on that page and maybe some yeah. ideas on where you think the sport needs to be headed. So hopefully that's yeah, cool. I
1: can handle that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: awesome. Awesome. Um, Bridger and you, you and Bridger been around a while, right?
2: On yeah, tour. Yeah, i no Bridger forever. <laughs> I think we were talking about this last, was it last year at ATA? we're we you and i well now you and i've known each other for probably 12 years yeah and i think, I think we were,
1: so. we're like some of the ogs of that new group that came in yeah
2: i know and even like of all the older folks that are in there now at least in the pro division like if you go down the list of who's been in the pro division the longest like you're like number two on the list <laughs> I know, damn near I at least as far too. as like, like the only one left yeah as far as like high Three. highly active shooters yeah and even me, just, I mean, Rio, Dave, Jesse, all those guys. But, I mean, I ain't far ain't far behind either. But you and I have known each and other forever.
0: Cr- and that's crazy because you guys are like
2: babies. Paige is younger I than I I
0: know, am.
1: everyone says that. I, I'm serious, we, I'm 50. He started young.
0: Yeah, I know, that's
2: unbelievable. The like yeah,
1: let me crash on his couch a few times between <laughs> tournaments. You know, good stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> between tournaments there and then... I. I always find it funny because uh, whenever I talk to you, like everybody comes over and is like, oh, my God, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's usually creepy old men like my yeah, neighbor, Jim, exactly. or the old guys in the booth at the ATA show that I was working at. That's funny.
1: Oh, that was funny. I was dying laughing.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> well, anyways,
0: so let's talk about Vegas. So I, if I'm not mistaken, you won outright. Right. No, no shoot-off. Now, let me ask you a question about that, because I think that's kind of weird. Because, you know, we were in the stands watching, and, you know, you shot the perfect 900, which, Bridger, I think you told me. Sixth woman sixth in woman ever. Ever. that, no small feet. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, but, no, we're sitting in the stands, and I think I felt a little weird for you, because it's kind of anticlimactic. I mean, here's Linda and Sarah coming out on the big stage, getting a chance to shoot their bow in front of you know, 12, 1,300 people, maybe 2,000 people, and you kind of like were nowhere to be found. Did, did, did that kind of hit you different, weird?
1: Uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of people have said that to me, but I feel like I just wanted to win Vegas, like Vegas so badly for so long that it didn't even cross my mind. I was just like so stoked to have won that I didn't even care. Like and I, I, can see where everybody's coming from, and I see that point. And I think at some point they had said that they were going to bring because it was the same thing for Keith Trail.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they had said they were going to bring Keith and I out there at some point, but it just I don't know it just ended up not happening. Right. Um, which is fine. I mean, people have asked me, would you have rather have won it in a shoot off or won it outright? And obviously, for you know, like the notoriety or or for you know to get to shoot on the big stage, you would say shoot off. But also, let me tell you, like I was so stressed that whole <laughs> yeah. weekend. Yeah. Well. So to win it outright was like, oh, thank
2: yeah, like, exactly. I'm well, done. at so the end of the day, I, too, I at the end of the day, too. Like I know Sarah really well. I know and love Linda really well. And at the end of the day, no offense to them, but you won and they didn't. So who really cares? <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: and like I mean, that sounds that sounds bad, but like it, it's the truth. I definitely. Yeah was just happy to be done sitting over there doing the commentating, like kicking back because yeah. it was a stressful weekend.
0: Oh, gosh. You know, it's funny you say that because I tell everybody because everybody asks, you know, how was Vegas, how was Vegas, how was Vegas. And I, I, I've i shot a lot of tournaments in my lifetime. and um, If you want the toughest, most stressful tournament you can possibly go to, I think it's Vegas. That's my opinion. Um,
1: it is. It Like I'll say all the time to people, I'll shoot and practice for weeks and never even worry about missing the Big Ten. It's like it's not even there. You don't even contemplate that. You get to Vegas, and that Big Ten feels smaller than the baby. Is. And yep. you're like, wow, this, yeah. is, this is ridiculous. And you know that it's no harder. It's the same thing. But, yep. man, the pressure of Vegas is real.
0: It's it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm 50, so I've been doing this twice as long as you guys. And what's amazing to me is that I got up there, and when I drew my bow after the first six arrows – I had to let down, and I talked to myself and said, are you kidding me, Hamlin? This is You've done this a billion times. How are you having nerves? And it's just crazy. People won't – until you do it, you just don't understand it. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Well, yeah.
1: It's, Vegas is a beast. Like, it seriously is. But I was more nervous there this whole – like, that whole weekend than I ever am, like, at any tournament of the year ever. It just doesn't compare. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Scott and I, we were talking about it on the last podcast. Like, I moved down here in August – and like scott sees me shoot every day and i think i've missed probably i missed more nines in vegas in those three scoring rounds than i had in all the scoring rounds i've shot in the store <laughs> that's including <laughs> yeah. just practice screwing around
0: mm-hmm. i mean seriously
2: and it's yeah it is it's totally weird on your body the way your body reacts is completely different and i'm the same way as you paige i like indoor nationals for me is the easiest one to compare as far as like style of shoot and everything it's a you have to shoot a perfect score to make a shoot off that one's got thirty extra arrows, and I don't. I bet I don't get ten percent the amount of nerves there, shooting to shoot a one twenty as I do trying to shoot a nine hundred in Vegas.
1: Yeah, like I shot there last year. I dropped one X mm-hmm. throughout, so I shot a fifty nine to a sixty X, and it was like, yeah, no big deal, like at all. And then to go to Vegas, like I realized, okay, I just shot a nine hundred. But I seriously <laughs> think my highest score ever besides that was like a like an 897 maybe really or something like it was yeah and so it's so funny because i'm like hey vegas is 30 less arrows but i'll usually tank and miss way more points in vegas than in indoor nationals and there's Mm -hmm. 30 more arrows
2: right at the same size like an x-ring on a five spots the same size as a 10 on a vegas face it's just
1: yeah so
0: so you—it's literally no different. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to hear this, and I, I, I want to talk to, about our our young listeners, especially. We have some really talented young females that are making their way through the ranks quickly. And you know, I want to kind of bring Paige Pierce back down to the human level. Um It's kind of cool. You get nervous, right? Oh yeah. Because you know, a lot oh. of people a lot of people look at you guys as professionals, and they think. They're so good because they have their nerves so under control. They're 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 ice cold. They have ice water running through their veins. Um, it's kinda neat and I think it's refreshing to hear. You guys still deal with the nerves, is that correct?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I think the difference is the nerves don't go away, but you learn how to shoot through them or how to channel them. Um and it's just an experience thing. Like if I had been that nervous three years ago, I probably would have chunked a six. You know? <laughs> and so it's just the, the more that you do it, you learn, okay, my body's doing this thing again that I really don't like. How do I get through it? And you might fail a lot before you figure out, okay, I actually hit those in that shoot-off. What was different? And it's just, you know, it's a very slow progress.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people think that you all just don't, uh, it doesn't bother you. And it's kind of refreshing to hear that you still have to work through that. Um, because it's, yeah. like you said, it's not it's not easy. I think I always say that if I start to never feel that, then it's time to hang it up and do something different. Because that's why we yeah, do it.
1: And, I mean, different events, I guarantee you, for everybody carry more weight for whatever reason or another. Like... I don't get as nervous outdoor. I just, I'm confident outdoor. I've shot a lot of it. It's kind of my thing. Yeah. But indoor is something I kind of picked up in the more recent years more seriously. And so that one still gets me for sure. Yeah. Um, and different formats more than others, I think that kind of plays into it as well.
0: Right. So, you know, one of the things that I, I hear Bridger say sometimes, cause, you know, I like you said, he said, I get a chance to watch him shoot here every day. And sometimes I'll watch him, and he's looking really good, really stoic, I call it. And he'll be like, oh, my God, if you could look, sit behind my pen, you'd freak out. <laughs> and I always get a kick out of that. I mean, do you do you fight through that also at times? When-
1: oh, always. We joke about that all the time. Um, like, the one question, like, why are men better than women? I seriously think it's just how we aim, like, how we hold. So it's funny when Bridger says that. Mine's probably ten times worse on the daily. <laughs> um, like, Kate was saying that one day at the shop, and I was like, like, you're so dumb. I guarantee you're aiming so good. So we actually put a laser on my bow and a laser on his bow and at 20. Mine looked like a football, like <laughs> a basketball down there. And his was just, like, sitting. And nope. I'm like, yeah, I don't, really don't want to hear you complain. And he's looking at that going, how do you hit anything with a <laughs> moving in that much? And I'm like, I just keep pulling, and I hope it breaks when I would like it to, you know? Like, I kind of luck, I guess, in that way. But oh no, the movement is real.
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy to see. And I and I like I said, I've talked to a lot of y'all, and it's crazy to hear that you all fight the same things that we fight, you know, as amateurs, and uh, and still somehow get through it. And I think a lot of that would you attest to just the amount of reps that you put in as a professional archer?
1: Um, I, I yes, I think so. But also, it's funny because our version of movement is probably different than other people's. Um, like there's people sometimes that I'm watching shoot and I can actually see their bow moving like from the back in the chairs, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And even when I feel like my bow's moving, people always say, wow, you look so steady. And I'm like, what? Like today's not a good aiming day. (laughs) It's Moving all over the yellow, but it's not moving enough that like someone back behind me, you know, a few feet can see the bow moving. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in a way, yes, we're moving, but it's probably less than the average person I would assume. Right. Um. I mean it's enough that it's scary. I also shoot an 8 power, so I feel like mine looks like I'm having a seizure compared to someone Oh my point. That just like gave me target panic yeah. thinking about looking through
0: an 8 power. I just uh, exactly, my eyes just kind of sort of shaking. <laughs> an
2: 8 yeah. power. Well, and
1: I'll shoot an 8 or a 9 depending on what I Whoa. can clear up that year. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, you're a beast.
1: <laughs> I don't mind. I've always moved, so I don't really mind. So you don't fight movement. it movement? Yeah. No, I, I'm good with it. For me, the way I think about it is, okay, I know I'm moving, but, I like, it normally hits, you know, so just keep executing and it'll be fine. But for me, when I shoot a, a lower power uh, lens, the dot looks so tiny. Like, with a four power, I will draw someone else's bow back just messing around, you know? And yeah. I'm like, dude, the yellow looks small. Like, right. mentally, I would be like, dang, I'm happy to hit the yellow. Right. Yeah. But with mine, the yellow looks like literally a basketball. Right. So, I can see the 10, and in my mind, I'm like, there is no excuse to miss that. It's giant. Right. I feel the same way with, like, redding dots or, like, the yellow feta. And so, in a way, it's, it's more calming for the way I think to think that dot looks huge. There's no excuse to miss it versus, well, I'm aiming still, but, man, that's a tiny target down there.
0: So I got a question. When you are you – know, we talked about this yesterday in the podcast we just released because uh, we were talking about the conversion over to 3D. Do you find yourself – um, looking at what I call through your dot or past your dot, concentrating more on the target, or do you concentrate more on the dot and letting it float around the target? I mean, which one are you really looking at and concentrating on?
1: So I look at the dot um, in my site or the fiber, whatever it is I'm right. shooting. And I know, like, technically if people teach the quote-unquote correct way, they're going to say stare at the middle and your pin will kind of float around that point. Mm-hmm. I've just I've aimed low my whole life. So what's funny is like if I stare at the middle, my pin doesn't go there. Like it's funny I could like stare a hole in something, and yeah, my pin's gonna be nowhere near where my eyes are <laughs> because my pin is normally not where my eyes are. Right. So um, yeah, it's kind of different different for me in that aspect. I just kind of look at the pin and put it wherever. Gotcha. <laughs> not I, even where I want it yeah, I, I put it where it wants to go that day.
2: You and I have shot team rounds together in Fita, and I correct me if i'm wrong but i think you've since then kind of fixed the issue but i know back in the day like when you and i were shooting cadet and junior stuff in the for worlds and fita like you used to just aim somewhere random on the target because i would tell you where i'm aiming to hit in the wind and then you'd be like well yeah but i'm aiming at the bottom right corner of the paper (laughs)
1: yeah oh i wasn't what's funny emily fisher used to aim at the corners of the paper which was weird for me i always used to aim in the thick ring, so straight low but in the bottom color
2: yeah and i would because well
1: i shot vegas that way for years too
2: (laughs) what's hilarious is because i remember shooting the for uh world championships in 2011 with emily and then you were on the team with her and i think it was was it kansas michaels shooting with you guys too we like, and
3: hands, we can't tell you where to aim. We I know,
2: and like I remember shooting with Emily and was shooting in the wind, and I'm like, all right, I I broke that one between or nine left, in a hit. She's like, well, I don't know how far off I need to aim. I was like, well, just aim left nine. She's like, well, yeah, but I aim at the bottom of the paper.
1: <laughs> I'm like,
3: oh, oh, my God.
1: So, I, I've kind of fixed... No, I haven't fixed that. That'd be, like, such a complete lie, but I've minimized the damage. Like, I used to aim... Yeah, in the sticks or like at the bottom of the paper. You're, you're not uh, kidding. Are
0: you being serious right now?
1: No, I swear to God, no one ever believed me. Like literally for years in FIDA, I aimed right at the bottom of the paper forever.
0: So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you like one of my students. You have $375 worth of knobs on that thing. You don't use them.
1: I, well, I do. I just click my sight, <laughs> knob, knobs in away until it hits in the middle when I aim at the bottom of the paper.
2: Oh, my gosh. That is hey, unbelievable. Just, hey, what works? Am what am works? Just like the last podcast, Scott. Sight into your tendencies. Yeah, sight into your tendencies. That's right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now I'm aimed so far, all of indoor season, like at the 9-8 line or just maybe a little more into the 8, which is like the highest I've ever aimed. Right. So that's pretty cool. Um, wow. That's What's crazy. Hard is, like, anyone who's had target panic or had any issues <clears throat> along their archery journey knows that it takes a lot of time to, like, break oh yeah. that down and build it back up. And we don't have time. Yep. And so it's funny because it's been some 10, 12-year struggle, you know, that I've been dealing with. But unless I took a lot of time off and just worked on solely that, it, it comes back. Like, I'll work on it at home. For three days and you go to the next event by the end of the event I'm back where I started then I go home and I work on it go to the next event the next weekend so mm-hmm. there's just not enough time between events to really fix your issues right which is funny because a lot of the pros you'll hear like yeah we're just like battling the demons all the time it's, and it's, it's 100%.
2: true 100% for me I've been battling it for five years now doing the same having the same problems and again same type of thing like you the longest time stretch of time you have is between the last outdoor tournament of the year, which is usually September, and the first indoor tournament of the year, which is usually December, December or yeah. before that sometimes, no. depending ours, on yeah. where you are. November. I hope. November. You like only get November.
0: October. Yeah, mm-hmm. October only. Yeah.
2: Correct. So, in four weeks is not enough time to <laughs> totally well, restructure you know. a shot
1: but to break. 12 years worth of bad habits. Exactly. Yes, no, it's not enough
0: time. No. That's, you know, what's crazy to think about the psychological thing. I mean, you're you're tricking your brain into what, would, what I would consider to be aiming very safe. You're not having to get to the gold dot. You don't have to worry about getting there. And it's got to be a little bit more relaxing shot. I mean, that, and that sounds crazy uh, to say, but.
1: It's different. Like, so the other day, I can aim in the middle. Like, I remember, Bridger, we were in Poland back in, like, I don't even know what year. And he was like where would you hit if you aimed in the middle i'm like well i don't know let me aim in the middle and i'll show you and i hit like high six you know and they're (laughs) like oh my gosh but i can aim in the middle it's just when i'm actually in competition it wants to drop low and so what i notice if i do aim try to aim in the middle it's like dip bang dip bang dip bang (laughs) dip bang, like (laughs) non-stop like my mind is fighting it yeah. Where, if I just let it sit at, let's say, the 9 8 line, it just sits there. Right. And so it's like, all right, do I want a side picture moving five inches up and down, or do I want one aiming low but consistently aiming in the same in spot? In the same spot. I'm going to yeah. go with that one. Oh,
0: yeah. We call that snow coning. So it makes yeah. perfect sense. A lot of us do it. I know some of my good friends that are some of the top archers around, they do it to this day, and they're crazy good at it.
1: Well, I know people that only walk like low 10, mm-hmm.
0: like in the bottom
1: of Vegas 10, and they're like, man, I just don't know what to do. I'm like, Dude, just click your site. Like Go with what is it. wrong yeah. with you? If I could even low ten I'd be so like <laughs> and they're like, No man, it's just too low. I'm like, so awesome. get into it. Just click. Like yeah. work on it at home. But dude, in a tournament, you gotta do whatever you gotta do to get through it in that minute.
0: You know it's funny because that is some actually good advice and to think about this in a different world, different level because, you know, as a coach, I am constantly coaching kids around and even adults around trying to stay in that yellow and course, you know, hinge, no hinge. You know, ex, you know, tension release, thumb trigger, you name it. And it's the demon that every, I think everybody battles to some degree. And you guys have just found a way to make it work. A lot of it got a necessity in saying, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go with it.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's one of those things. Now, I, I, like, I'm not having the punchy back end target panic. Mine's an aiming version. You know what I right, mean? There's all right. different problems that people are going to have. But... People are told, oh, man, if you have this, you're done, you can't shoot through it, like, good luck, you know, archery's going to suck for you kind of thing, and I feel like it's just kind of accepting, like, no, you know, it's not necessarily the most ideal thing, but I can get through it, and like I said, my bow actually aims better aiming low than it does aiming in the middle currently so yeah let it 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 go
0: with it so i noticed something that you made a change this year um historically and it's funny because i use you tim gillingham and michael braden and every about 90 percent of my conversations with people that come in and want to pick up target archery and you know there's always the release question and um i've i'm of the school of thought that if you can shoot a trigger release without punching it and shoot it properly i think it's probably the most organic way to shoot a bow Um, and I, and I always use you three as, as examples of that, that shoot on the professional level and are crazy successful. And now I can't use you because I noticed, I think you went to a thumb button this year, correct?
1: I did. So my story on that stuff, I, um, to shoot, I don't even know back when I was like a little kid, fingers and all that stuff. But when I was eight, my dad was like, all right, time you learn back tension (laughs) and made me shoot a hinge. Now this is like. Before we had D loops on our strings, like it was the old Stanislavski. You had the loop, the rope loop, yeah. You know, (laughs) all that good stuff. Um, Yeah, I was around back then. I definitely punched myself in the face over (laughs) and over and over again. And it was pretty terrible, but I learned. And so for a long time, I would like practice with a hinge. And then I always competed with a button because I was just like, man, I don't want to dump arrows with a hinge. I was always nervous about it because I'd probably hit myself in the face so many times. But um, I could shoot either one intermittently, and it was fine. And then for years, I kept saying to him, I'm going to shoot a wrist strap. And he's like, no, you're not. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> like, only bad people shoot wrist straps. So I was like, no, I, I really think I could do it. Like, I don't – I've never had that back-end anticipation. So I was like, I, I really think I'd be fine. Right. Um, so what I ended up doing when I did switch to a wrist strap six, seven years ago now, I think I was eight, 18 at the time, mm-hmm. um, I – was having some elbow issues and as I was pulling through my shot and applying like more pressure, right? More push, more pull, my elbow would kind of hyperextend out. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to get a trigger and I'm going to squeeze it. Like, I'm going to like try to control punch it in a way. Yeah. But what I realized is I would shoot like two arrows like that. And then all of a sudden I'd be 20 arrows deep and I was pulling, but I wasn't having as many issues with my elbow. So what I ended up figuring out was, okay, once you truly learn how to shoot back tension, if you've got it down, you can implement it on any kind of release. Mm -hmm. But I was struggling before with my hand grip on the release. Like when I got nervous, my hand was just tense, and I would death grip the the handle. And with the wrist strap, it was stuck to me, and I didn't have to hold anything. So my shots were a little bit more fluent, and my timing was better. I let down like 10 times less not because I was punching, but because my shots would just go off, like how I would like them to. Right. Um, and it was it was good. And honestly, so now I switch back, like, six years later. Um, I literally only did it because of a shoulder injury. Gotcha. So I probably should have switched for the beginning of this season, I would say, with the state my shoulder's in. Um, I it's always hurt for the last few years, but I was just like, Oh, whatever. Shoot through the pain. No big deal. I have a pretty high pain tolerance. It was good, but it was kind of, I guess injured or hurt to the point that it was like fatiguing, um, to the point that I was like shaking or not shooting as well, or not getting through my shots because I could hardly reach my anchor point. Right. And so I tried for a long time. And then earlier in this indoor season, I was trying to shoot the 600 rounds, you know, for FIDA and I just could not get through it. And I'm like, my first half was great, my second half was tank, you know, first half great, second half lower. I'm like, what is going on? And I was I tried to practice more and more to build up strength and I was actually getting like weaker and weaker. I could shoot less and less arrows every time. And I was like, what is going on? I finally just grabbed an old handheld and started shooting and I shot like five or six Vegas games back to back with no pain, no issue, no shakes. Everything was good and I'm like, dang it. Wow. All right. Like, now I, I can't lie to myself anymore. Wait, like, you, I, I'm going to have to.
2: Throw. You switched, like, right before, was it Sydney? Right before Rome. Or right before Rome, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: One shoot earlier. Or right before Iowa, technically. So, yeah, Rome. so that's, mid-December.
0: That is a, cr- that's crazy. Because you're, you know, and, and it looks like the switch has done wonders for you. Because, like I said, you're just on a tear right now. And it makes total sense, though. Because, you know, when you're shooting that strap, and it sounds like the way you shoot it, you're using 100% of your rear front dealt to to anchor and draw with and now you've got a handle in your hand so you're integrating bicep you know um your your tricep and your your, your every muscle in your arm essentially which is probably taking up a lot of that load Yeah,
1: well so one thing that um so hard because i can't like show you over the phone obviously but when i anchor with a wrist strap my back right shoulder um lifts up and pushes forward a lot and like you can probably find pictures of that if anybody wants to look mm-hmm. um definitely a lot with the handheld for whatever reason it's pushed down and back down and back so yeah. something is pinching when i shoot with the wrist strap that isn't when my shoulder's in that lower position with the handheld gotcha so it's literally something as simple as how i set in but i can't i can't shoot the wrist strap with that with that shoulder down it just naturally kind of lifts up mm-hmm. and with the handheld it's just down so yeah
0: so million dollar million dollar question here's the million dollar question are you uh are you shooting on command with the uh, thumb, or are you shooting at true tension?
1: Dude, if I was shooting on command, I promise you those last three arrows would have went off a whole lot faster. Than did. <laughs> That's awesome. Would have been no, like
2: would have been like my last arrow at finals where it only took me five seconds to shoot.
1: <laughs> just get rid of it. Yeah. Draw aim and shoot. Yeah, just send it. I no, yeah. I cannot. So I tried at the end of this last season to I was if we were shooting in Texas and man, it was so. Windy. Oh yeah, welcome and, to Texas. <laughs> like I was like, okay, I'm just gonna punch it. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna hammer punch it because I need to get it off in this wind. And uh, dude, I tried and shot like a five, right, a five, <laughs> high. Like it was an embarrassment. Yeah. And just because I've never shot that way, I would be like, okay, punch it now, mm-hmm. and like nothing would happen. Like I look like Gillingham, not because it just happened, because <laughs> I was trying to punch it and couldn't. Yeah. And then my match in where were we? Oh, uh, Mer- uh, Macau, earlier this year. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Bless you. I'll um, <laughs> so I was like struggling kind of the same thing. I was having those shoulder issues. Like I couldn't pull through my shot. I was in the finals and I was just mad and I was down. I heard Tate say three, like two, he started counting, you know, at the end and I went, Oh my gosh, I just have to send it. Like mm-hmm. at this point it doesn't even matter. Right. And I tried, I was like, punch it. And like, all i did was just come off the wall like nothing happened yeah. and i was like wow that sucks and i literally just like hit my face and then it like kind of went off and it was a disaster but i cannot shoot that way like if i did i think the target panic thing of that would over consume me in like five arrows and, and i done. literally miss everywhere
2: yeah. <laughs> that's awesome i'm so jealous <laughs> i wish i never learned to punch it yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's times where it definitely is beneficial, and I wish I could do it a little more controlled. But yeah. the one reason that I do like the button over, like, a hinge, let's say, for FIDA, which is up and coming here pretty quick, if it's windy, like, I know I can just get on my button a heavy. little heavier yeah, I just get than heavy. I normally yeah. would yeah. and then still execute a normal shot. Where with a hinge, you kind of can't do that, you mm. know what I mean? So it's not punching, but, like, obviously the initial pressure you put on it is drastically going to change your shot timing. So yeah, you can yeah. be more aggressive on it in the wind. Or under pressure, your shot will break yep. faster. The difference is, like, in the wind, I don't mind doing that. But under pressure, I think I'm hard on it. And really, I'm, like, barely touching it not pulling because <laughs> I'm terrified. <laughs> but, you know.
0: That's awesome. No, I agree 100%. So I, when I seen you this week in Vegas, um, I noticed one thing I was really anxious to talk to you about. And because it, it was something completely out of the norm. i I seen that your back bar on your bow is sitting on the opposite side. Um, is that yes. a issue with grip torque, the amount of torque you're putting on the bow, or what what are you finding there?
1: Um, I think it is. Like, I have a lot of sub-pressure on the right side of the bow um, that, for whatever reason, that's just where my weights need to be. Mm-hmm. If I put my like, more weight on the left side, my bow would literally lay sideways. Like, I'll shoot... <laughs> you know, like I said, other people's bows randomly here or there, we're just messing around. And right. it's like It's I keep barely forcing it. I like can't even hold their bows upright. Um, what's funny is I've done that since I... When I shot previous bow companies, I didn't have that issue. But since I switched to Bowtech, for whatever reason, I've actually had way more weight on my right side the whole time. I just shot V-bars and had like a third of an ounce on my left <laughs> bar and would have like six to eight on my right bar, but nobody noticed because there right. were V-bars. Right. And so when I... To the Reckoning 38, it was like really heavy. I couldn't hold it up, so I literally just pulled a whole bar off, right? And just to save some mass weight. And now people started noticing because there's only one bar, yeah, gotcha. But it's always been that way, it's not anything I changed recently.
0: Wow, I did not know that. That's that's interesting because I was wondering why don't you just shoot V bars, but it makes sense what you're saying, mass weight. And that's that's cool because it was something completely different. Some of my shooters noticed it too, and they were dying, you know, oh my gosh, why is she doing that? Is there an advantage?
1: Well, people have <laughs> said like going to go try that And yeah. I'm like, no it's not anything to try you either need it there or you don't like i i look at my back weight as the only reason it's there is to keep my bow upright and keep my bubble in the middle mm-hmm. so wherever i need to put the weight on the back end to keep my bubble in the middle is where it goes right. and other than that that's really like the only thing i care about on the back weight and i run i have 16 or 17 ounces on my front bar and five or six on my back bar wow like i'm so so much more front heavy um, because that's what, where I want the weight. Like I said, I just put enough on the back, get my bubble in the middle and then I'm done yeah. with back weight.
0: So do you, um, you're, so I'm assuming then you're a hard puller, correct?
1: Yeah. So you're, sure. and if you weren't like that, that front weight would get you. Right. Every time.
0: Right. So yeah, a lot of people, we talked about that yesterday, I think in our, our the podcast about mm-hmm. stabilization and stuff and how hard you have to pull or, you know, the difference between a static shot and an aggressive, you know pulling shot and i think they're two completely different schools of thought on that but that's interesting they are
1: and and there's people that do both very successfully that's such a a personal thing depending on you and your body and, and you know the shot you've developed but for me under wind or pressure nerves like the back weight really doesn't slow my movement down on my bow at all right the front weight does gotcha and so like i could probably pull my whole back bar off and my bow would aim as far as Movement-wise, about the same. About the I you know, would want to lay sideways, but other than that. But if I take the front weight off, it just floats and moves, and, like, my sight picture is pretty terrifying. Right. So, you know, I just put the weight out there on the end to deaden it. And it's funny, like, if I've been doing that for a long time, but then if you look at, like, Mikey and Stefan and those guys who have, like, a crazy amount of weight up front. Right. I think Rio ones are the same. Like, they're doing the same thing, and the front weight is really what deadens that movement. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why they have so much back weight. Like I said, I don't. I don't. But I I think if I could hold it up, I would. But if I had to pick, like, okay, I can only hold 20 ounces on my bow, like, where am I going to put them? I'm going to put as many as I can on my front and have the rest on my back. Right. Where they can hold that mass weight so they can actually put as many pretty much as they want on there where they want it.
2: Yeah. Well, like, for me, all mine, I have – I don't have more, I have more on the back than the front, but it's pretty even one-to-one. Yeah. are like really even. But for me, like that back weight is more... I have it out just barely to level the bow, but mostly it's just for mass weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to get the mass weight of the bow where heavy. I want it. So, and I know Mike's probably exactly. the same way. Rio, Rio and Mike put a little bit more side torque on it than I do. So sort does of Stefan. But yeah. like even Stefan's got like 30 on the front and yeah. maybe 14 yeah. or 15, 14, 15 on the, 15 back. In the back. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah.
1: And I, like I said, if I could fold that much mass weight, it would be awesome. I just...
0: Yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> it's you, the
1: reason I had to take that other bar off, you know. Yeah. So,
0: how much holding weight do that. you? How much holding weight do you run on your cams?
1: So this is actually something I changed that I haven't even talked about. Um, previously, I could only get like twelve and a half pounds of holding weight, like for the last couple of years shooting my Bowtech. Right. And I always wanted more, but I just couldn't get it out of it um, with the Reckonings. Well, we kind of came up with a little fix to make that happen with the modules or whatever. And so I actually have this bow set up right before I went to Iowa. I changed it to 16.8 pounds of holding weight. Wow. And that's pretty much when my scores jumped significantly. And so it's so nice because I like the math weight of my bow felt so much heavier with less holding weight. Mm-hmm. Once I got that, that holding weight up, it was like, okay, my math weight's not even bad anymore. I actually have something to pull against when I pull my bow doesn't float. Like I pull, it almost slows it down with lighter holding weight. Mm-hmm. When I would pull, it would just float, you know, everywhere. Right. And so that honestly, I think has been one of the biggest changes that no one really knows happened. Right. But man, I think I've never shot above 13 pounds of holding weight until Iowa. Wow. And it's been pretty good. Well, that's hard. So I actually kind of want to set it outdoor up, like another maybe another pound, right. 19 and a half, kind of where I want to be.
0: Are you pulling like 50, 55? 42 52 52, yeah and that's harder when you're down in that 45 to 50 pound range you get
2: that much holding weight it's not easy it's Mm -hmm. that's difficult for people out there shooting vortex did did you just advance the module then or
1: so actually i've always done that i've been short pegging it well technically long modding it forever yeah and even long modding it that put me at the 12 and a half if i didn't long mod it it was like eight or nine so Gillingham. Shocker actually figured it out. We just punch the module pin in. (laughs) Yeah, who knew? Like a little peg on the module that sets it evenly each half inch. Mm -hmm. We just punch that in, and then we can set it in in in-between areas. I got it. So, like, I had a short peg, you know, a half inch, but it was like, man, that's, like, I can't go a whole other, you know, I can't do an inch, it's too much. Right. But at a half inch, it's not what I need holding weight-wise. So, it enables you to, like, manipulate it in little tiny amounts, which is nice.
0: It doesn't take much. I mean, 16th of a minute, no, you move it a bunch. So, so
1: And luckily, like, Botex sends it with three, you know, lockdown screws. Right. So obviously people are like, oh, aren't you worried about it moving? But, I mean, if you have three screws in there and you lock them down, like, it's, it's not none of us work. have had an issue yet. So yeah. I'm going to say it's fine.
0: Gotcha. That's awesome. That is cool. That's some good information. That's pretty neat. So, cause for, especially for our female listeners, because I struggle with that with our young shooters. And I got one young lady who shoots at a pretty high level, and she's... Struggling with the same issue with her elite and trying to get that holding weight, so she's actually doing the opposite. She's, I think, Ken is pulling like fifty six, fifty eight pounds right now, trying to get that holding weight oh, wow. up. Yeah, it's a lot.
1: I mean, and obviously, upping your poundage just can get you a little bit there, but for shooting like fida and in the wind and all that, I'm like, man, I don't want to have to pull that much weight. Exactly. I just want that much holding weight. You know, like yep. it just wears you down too quick if that's not what you're used to. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. There's all kinds of little tricks you can use to try and get that up, and I had tried all of them in the book. Trust me, well, and you, I was like, right, "I'm out of ideas until that little module punched thing. Came
0: you, out. you're lucky too, though, because your teammate, the mad scientist, is if if it can be done, Tim's figured it out. Believe me. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's probably done it three times over, backwards, <laughs> forwards, <laughs> left-handed, right-handed, like you name it. He's his, messed with it. His so bow
0: doesn't funny. even look like a bow anymore. It looks like a spaceship. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: I know it's funny, but I mean I appreciate that. Oh like, yeah, that's stuff that I would never. Yeah. Like I like to mess with stuff, but you know Tim's next level. So no, he's... I appreciate when he figures stuff like that out, so I don't have to.
0: Be, exactly, that's awesome. Um, so I got a question for you. Now you're straight up USA Archery Fita. Have you ever ever considered, or do you want to ever see uh, 3D in your sights?
1: So yeah, I would love that. Love it. So, like, I really dislike shooting FIDA um, a lot. And everyone's like, man, you're a target archer. Yes, I am. But I don't like it. Like, I grew up a Reading-style 3D archer. To me, no that's kidding. A 3D, you know, that's all I know. Oh, yeah. Wow, there's a shocker. I
2: <laughs> just good at um, it. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, happen to be I really good, good at
1: target. it. <laughs> I shoot target because that's all there is to shoot Right. unless you want to judge. And so... God, I'm so uh, glad to hear saying. If you say they that. make like a women's known pro in ASA, I will be there. Here. So
0: it's funny you okay. say that. I, I, when we talked to Linda Choa, and actually, I think we even talked to Crystal about it, Galvin, um, That I think you know. So I'm, I'm glad to hear us going to this segment because I wanted to talk about this a little bit, and I'm gonna try to, you know, I think you guys get screwed, the girls, and I'm, I don't want to talk about it on all levels, meaning the fact that I, I looked at Vegas, and you know they. They turn the lights off. They get the cheerleaders out for the guys in the shoot down. They've got 23 guys in it. Um, and I and I sat there and thought to myself, you know, there's some women archers that can compete with these guys. It was kind of cool to watch Sarah do it, about four years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, and and I thought, you know, you I can name probably 10 of y'all that shoot pretty high level, next level. And mm-hmm. I just think that it sucks that they don't recognize that and give you guys as much like I'll give you an example I was so stoked to see Sarah Prioles win that $10,000 shoot off day two oh, that was so freaking time. cool
1: like, man we really we need a girl to win that yeah. so when she did I was like yes that's awesome
0: and I think that's awesome I mean and I love to see it I loved watching it I thought it was cool and it needed to happen, and I think because you guys, and you know, once again, we've talked to ASA about it, and I mentioned it to Linda that it stinks because I have two or three young female archers in their teens, and going to approach, you know, eighteen here in the next year or two, and they're kind of nervous. They're like, "Where do we go?" And because and they're both three D yeah. shooters, and they love it, and there is so nowhere to go.
1: If, if we're you said before we started, we're gonna be blunt and honest, and keep it real. And if we're mm-hmm. going to keep it real, this might get me in trouble. But nope. Go ahead. it's not ASA that's holding that back. It's a boat company. You like, think? If we're being honest. No, I know. That's not a, I think that's a, I know. That's bull. And so, yeah. And so it's kind of one of those things that until they're willing to cave and they're willing to let it happen, ASA's hands are tied, in my opinion, on that one. And so, like, for example, um Bo-tech had said to me back in the day, we'll support it. We'll put full contingency on it. Let's make it happen. Like I think if we could get the ASA to even make K forty-five at least a K fifty, because who wants a pro division known at forty-five yards?
0: That's exactly. The like yeah. do They
1: need to they need to move it back to fifty. Right. We could probably, uh, me personally, could probably go out and get quite a few companies to put contingency on it and make it happen. The issue is if that happens, then we're going to have a women's own pro. You know, it's going to force other companies' hands. Well,
2: I mean, that's and- kind of that's kind of what bird the the known pro in the men's division Mm -hmm. was a lot of us were pushing a lot of companies to get contingency into that K 50. Then amateur started complaining because you know, all the weekend warrior guys that got kicked out of the K 45 had to move into the K 50. Well, now all of a sudden they're shooting against Jesse and Perkins and Donnie and myself and all these other guys. And so finally, everybody's like, "Okay, I guess we'll make it a known pro class. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, So the issue with the women, you guys have enough depth in the division to have both. You mm-hmm. can have an adequate unknown and, and a known division and work hand in hand. Yep. The women, there's not enough.
2: It'll, so if it, the
1: women known pro kicks off, the women's unknown will die. Yeah. Period. You think so? And, well, oh, 100%. And the women know that. Like, if you talk to any of the women that shoot unknown, they know that. That's why they're terrified of it happening. Oh, yeah. Now, well, here's the thing. I don't want to go in and change their team. I don't. Like, I don't care it wasn't even really talked about until they made a men's known pro in which case i feel like it is unfair that the men are allowed to have this division but the women aren't it wasn't even a discussion until that happened and i've Mm -hmm. shot asa like i went and shot a whole year of unknown asa i made my second shoot down in uh fort benning i made shoot down there i finished fourth yeah but um the issue, and, and people say, oh, if you say you don't have enough time to judge, you're just lazy. No, that's bullcrap. Those 3D people do not understand the no. schedule of the target. Right, right, Like our schedules are in freaking sync. When I think yours, yours really is isn't time to judge. Yeah,
2: yours is similar to mine. Like when I was doing everything full time, and I'm sure yours is exactly the same. Like when I when you're doing all the USAs, all the NFAAs, uh, the World Cups. Um, the indoor World indoor Cups. World I think. Cup I think in twenty four. Yeah, twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. I think I traveled between thirty five and forty weeks out of the year.
1: Yeah. No. So like you're you're home for real, one day a week quickly,
2: to work on your right crap new. and get going again.
1: Yeah. So since October, I literally was in Australia and then China and then. Uh, Kings of Archery, so the Netherlands, then Luxembourg, then Rome. I was actually home for Christmas, which was really cool. Then I was in Montana. Then I had Iowa Pro-Am. Then I was in Australia. Then I was in France. Then I was in Lancaster. I actually got to come home for a few days at that point, and now I've been in Vegas. So So I've been home 10 days, maybe? Well, you just
0: named named 11 tournaments in three months.
1: Yeah. And so literally the 10 days let's say that i was home even if i spent all day of those 10 days judging zero percent chance i'm going to be anywhere near as good as all those girls that have shot it for years and here's the thing dude it's a trait. it's hard i think what they do is awesome and like i said i'm not i don't want the sport to change so there than you know yeah. not having the game well, yeah, like i don't think that's fair either
0: for them that sucks yeah but you, you know there's something to call evol- the, evol- the evolution of the sport and you know i listened to levi's podcast with with greg at BoJunkie junkie what last month i think it was and talking about the 3d game and you know even though i agreed with a lot of things he was talking about you just can't argue with the economics of the known pro class versus the unknown i mean it's you know and I know it's easy for the unknown guys to talk about, you know, they don't have to, you know, they've been doing this for 15, 18 years. They don't have to go out and work at their judging as much as someone coming new to the sport. I I remember talking with Linda and I seen her and uh, I think it was Ira Francini from from Spain or Italy Mm or whatever. And they came over and shot the ASA Pro-Am up in Paris, Texas. And I was talking to them then. And it's crazy when you got two women who, quite frankly, are top 10 in the world, Come to a okay. pro, come to a pro am, and literally finish last and next to last. That's crazy. Yep.
1: And I, I applaud the them for trying not it. About, it's not about how you shoot. Nope. Unknown. Nope. It's about how you judge. Bingo. Period. I agree. Like, I mean, I yeah. Was, yeah. Don't don't don't, don't get you on that soapbox. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to be there and shoot it, and I'd be like, "Man, that was a great shot." Yeah. And they're like, "Leg." Right. Like, right. Ah, you right. know, like, oh my goodness, like it is, it's but it, to be honest like i see um if you if we really talk about growing the pro division and the youth and people coming up if you look at the women that are shooting known divisions below the pro division there's like uh, so many someone had calculated oh. it one time at the classic and it was like I, 100 to 200 women in that and there was like nine nine 10, well you know that were shooting unknown divisions that mm-hmm. weren't in the known and or in the unknown and well, it's like dude that's that's hard fact i I will tell you yeah
0: as a shop owner as a shop owner i can tell you the fastest growing segment of our business right now in my opinion is women and children and and i know from having three really high level archers in this building now that young ladies they have no interest in going to learn how to judge targets Um, they just don't have the time i mean these kids are so over scheduled in today's world you know and the other thing is is that honestly you know, and I always get on my soapbox about this. Judging yardage was a requirement when I was a teenager because we're sitting in the tree stand. We couldn't afford the $4,000 rangefinder that was as big as a Bible. Um, so we were we had to learn how to judge to shoot deer past 30 yards, and it was a part of what we did. And now there's not a hunter that walks into the woods without a rangefinder.
2: To it be just, fair, there's not so a so hunter that I'm, goes to an ASA to practice their hunting skills either. Exactly.
0: So. It's turned into a game now. Right.
1: Yeah. But I I I think, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think when ASA started, like you said, there wasn't rangefinders, there wasn't this, so judging was the game for hunters. Absolutely. But in my opinion now, if you go out there without a rangefinder as a hunter, you're pretty unethical yeah. when you could use a rangefinder. Like, like I don't know a hunter at all in my, in, you know, anyone I've been around. The best hunters I know all are going to use a rangefinder. I feel like why would you, why would you not, yeah. you know? And so it's hard because – most hunters don't necessarily need to know how to judge. And I can say firsthand, if there's an animal farther than, let's say, 30 yards and I don't get to range it, I won't shoot. Right. I'm not just going to go, ah, I think it's 46, good <laughs> enough, and fling and an arrow at it. Right. I will take the time to range it, and if that animal runs away, it runs away. Yeah, that's but the I would game. rather know that I'm going to shoot it good, you know, right. correct yardage, exactly. And risk that. And so I think not just the game of target archery has changed, but the game of hunting oh, has yeah. changed over
0: and that's what I mean when I talk about it, the sport evolving. I think the sport's evolving, I hate to say it, away from unknown. And a lot of it, I, I will still go back and say, you know, we as people are so overscheduled in our daily lives. You know, we don't have single mom, uh, I mean, single father working only, and the mom's at home with the kids. where It's just not a reality. I mean, we're picking our kids up at six o'clock at night at the daycare, and we got maybe two hours with them if we're lucky, and we know we yeah. schedule so many things that that it we just don't have the time and I, I maybe an a lot of people will say that's an excuse. I think it's just the reality of the situation and, like I yeah. said, when you have the known men's pro division dump hundred and twenty shooters the first year it's out, and you've got twenty six guys and unknown that's the econo- well, that's the, the, the economics is,
1: is how many how many new people did that bring into a s a oh my gosh, it wasn't just people jumping over no. like people like. Like Stephen, and Chris, Perkins. Jesse, people yeah. who haven't shot that stuff before, you know Jesse, yeah, exactly, jumped in, and that was a really cool thing to see. Now I know for a fact if they did a women's zone pro, I would be there. Linda would be there. Yeah. Tanya's already going. Like Tanya's going to have a jump on all of us if it ever happens because she's right. shooting K forty five. Right. Um, but it would bring in a lot of new people into the ASA for yeah. the women's division. Now, when I say a lot, obviously they're like, yeah, right. The women don't have a lot, but. For That's crazy. Us, it would be a, a good, you know, change. And it's funny, like, whenever I talk about this, I feel like there's always people that shoot unknown that are like, you're just a hater because you can't play the game. Like, I'm not. I don't care. I'm clearly, my schedule is packed. Like, I'm right. doing exactly what I need to be doing. It's fine.
3: Right. But
1: I also went out when I went to shoot ASA. I bought a range. I still have 20 targets with brand new cores <laughs> sitting in a horse stall for when they make a known pro that I'll pull out. But right. I am not home up days. I'm not with our schedule to actually judge and be good at it, right. you know, like be competitive where I would be comfortable picking that over feet, I guess, if that makes sense. Right. And so, you know, it's, and it's a hard game, even if it's known because there's no dots, yeah. you know, a whole yeah. different thing, learning how to aim and different side picture and all that good stuff. But, you know, I just, it's kind of one of those things where there's not much I can, I don't know, do about it now. And, I think you're right. I feel like I made this point a million times on Facebook arguments with people. But it's like anybody can come up and play in the known, even if they don't own Target. They shoot known all their life growing up. They come into the known. The natural progression into the pro division makes ten times more sense. Hopefully more people will join. Unknown, they shoot known their whole lives. And all of a sudden, they get kicked into a pro class where they have to afford – a five $6,000 range of targets that's used, might I add, from an ASA, right. plus another $1,000 to ship it to wherever you live because I had to do that, not to mention have a place to put all the targets and if you're actually judging, you need to be moving them around and have adequate space otherwise if you already know how far they are it's not really doing you that much good and so the average person doesn't have the ability to afford all that or make that happen right. and so you see the same five elite people winning that over and over and over and you're going to continue to see that but i feel like and and you put me on record for this but moving forward i feel like if we're ever going to have any true true growth in the unknown 3d world it'll be known yeah you know and and that sucks like i said it's not i'm not trying to make anybody mad i'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings i'm just saying like naturally financially time time you know considering everyone's time like it is easier for people to be a known pro than it is to be an unknown pro yeah. kudos to the people that pulled off being an unknown pro because it's hard i respect that but if we're talking about growth in the future i mean yeah. I have well, kind of a no-brainer
2: well and one thing i remember going back to that bow junkie podcast with levi and greg um one thing levi had said is like man if you guys want a known class there's tournaments for that and i mean mm. there there is and there isn't like we can all go shoot feed we can all shoot that but like there's not seven tournaments a year where like I can make there's not yeah there's not a uh, seven tournaments a year where I can make 20 grand at each one that are all a known field style course there's right. there's two yeah. field tournaments a year or three if you count USA me, archery there's Redding NFAA field and USA and Redding is the highest paid one even right. in the men's division yeah. you're making 15,000 right yeah. so,
1: so Levi made his own tournament and it's freaking and, known so like, right
2: well and he was doing that to try and, and yeah he was doing that to try and spur that and i mean obviously you can make a lot there now scott and i've talked about it i don't necessarily like the to me it's a crap shoot because like you can shoot a bow out of a hooter shooter at 100 yards and you ain't going to be able to make a one inch hit a one inch dot every time out of the damn hooter shooter let alone like the human element thrown into it so i'm not a huge fan of the course setup and that's part of the reason why i haven't been back i think it should be an attainable type tournament but
1: yeah, the first two years, I feel like it was way too easy. And then we all complained. Like, hey, And then it, it got way, way
2: too, way easy too easy, hard.
1: It? Then it got way too hard. And yeah. so I think it's not just that it's too hard. I think the really cool thing about the risk and reward is if there's a 14 in play, people need to be able to shoot for it. Yeah. And right now, the target, the average target distance was like 58 yards or the, something. Like, the, I don't know it was insane if you I went, math on it.
2: I went through and looked at it. I think the closest target was 34 yards, and it was a uh, – I don't know, like a, a, a Wolverine or a, or a badger Havelina or, yeah. or something and yeah. whatever it was the 12 dime. ring dime the yeah it was a dime size yeah. 12 or 14 ring unobtainable potentially i mean you not can it. But, but like, hit it but like
1: at that distance yeah sure, well yeah but like is, is there was like
2: you got an 8 a- power lens of the 10,000th fiber you're covering the entire <laughs> dot <laughs>
1: yeah like uh, everyone would talk beforehand and if you were using like smart course management there was maybe two to four targets a day that you could shoot at the 14 Mm -hmm. and every other one it was like that's stupid and so i think you know it kind of here's the thing i just took some of the risk and reward out of it and made it a shoot more like ready where it's just like try to hit the dot not miss like yeah you know you see these guys come in with scores that aren't super high up you know they're not shooting 40 up and everyone's like, well, what's going on? Well, they just pushed the target distances back far enough that the 14 doesn't really mean as much. Right. And even some of the 12s, like a lot of there's, – there's been shooting five, okay? I shot five, and I shoot a lot of stuff like that. So it's like for that to happen, obviously, it's really challenging. So it just became, you know, instead of a game of hit the 12 and 14, it became a game of, like, not chance. hit the 10. And try a game to hit of the chance, 12. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's – It's just different. Like, I I love OPA, and, like, when it started, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, if this could turn into a full circuit, that would be incredible. Like, I would love it. I feel the same way about Redding. Like, Mm. that's what I grew up shooting. We have that Outlaw Tour out here that's been super successful as far as, like, a local tournament, you know, level tournament goes. It's been great. And, I mean, I would kill to have a full thing of field or a full thing of Redding or a full thing of OPA, you know, tour, but it just hasn't happened. And so –
0: so, you know, I want to switch gears a little bit because, and I, gosh, what you and I think exactly alike when it comes to this stuff. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about you. Have you ever been approached by a non-endemic sponsor yet? And I'd be shocked if you haven't.
1: Um, you know, not. I would say no. Like, no. I'm going to say no. I've had a few random, like, I shoot now for Montana Silversmith, uh-huh. which is really cool. Um, you know, they're obviously more rodeo geared and stuff like that. And, but the reason that happened was because someone that I knew within the archery industry started working within the company. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so that was kind of the the shoe in there. And yeah, I mean, other than that, I've had a few random things. I had like keen shoes back in the day, like some random stuff like that, but nothing that I would consider like, no, no legit non-endemic sponsors.
0: So, you know, we we, Bridger and I were talking about like when monster came to the ATA show and you know, I real quick, just spin on my background. I came out of the bass fishing world and watch the, the the tour blossom into a full blown you can make a living catching green carp, <laughs> like Bridger says. Yep. Um and it didn't happen until we as an organization started going to the big cities. Uh, we were we were yep. fishing exactly we were fishing like archery is shooting now. These small little podunk towns that just have no marketability. If you didn't if you weren't an archer you wouldn't even know they existed for the most part. Yep. And yeah. and I don't see these organizations getting where they need to be to where you all can literally shoot for an income that you can live on. Um, and that is yeah. minus the manufacturers. And you had mentioned a second ago that, you know, you think the manufacturers or a manufacturer is holding the women's, you know, pro division back and they become a non-issue. I mean, I can tell you in the fishing world right now, the manufacturers that are directly involved in fishing do not drive the ship anymore. It's the non-endemics. Yeah. And
1: well- in archery, I feel like way too much weight, pressure, and expectation is put on the companies in the much. industry.
0: Way too much. Yep.
1: Yeah, way too much. I mean we're like draining them dry. We're yep. like, you know, little mm-hmm. well, we'll bats like sucking on them. You know what I mean? Like it's just bat, little we'll leeches. It. And it would be so nice to have non endemic sponsors. Here's the issue is when you go to a big company like that and you're trying to, to pitch stuff, let's say an entire organization is gonna go, like NFAA, USA Archery, pick one, any, I don't care. And they want to go to an index sponsor. They want hard numbers. Like, what's your views on this? What's right. your numbers on that? How right. many of this are you selling? Dude, Archery can't even produce the numbers, like the information <laughs> right. to give to these companies to even remotely attempt to get them to sponsor us because we don't know. Right. And so it's funny because the, the baseline of what we need to even, you know, bring in those big companies, we can't even provide them with the information they're asking.
0: Right. No, and,
1: and that's an issue.
0: Yeah, big time. There's no doubt about it. And, and, yeah, and then the other big problem is, like I said, we, you know, I, I look at the monster thing, and I, as much as I think it would be awesome, you know, them them signing Brian, you know, Pigman, which was kind of cool, and you know, they go to the ATA show and they're seeing, and you know, the the industry, there's what 15,000 that go through that show, Bridger. I don't Probably know the exact number, somewhere around there. You know, and that's a that's a big audience, you know, that I think would attract some attention, but then. They go to our largest tournament. We just got back from it, Vegas. There were roughly, what, 5,000 people. Um, You know, how many people, when Monster is going to, I don't know, the X Games, you know, I'm just trying to think of some events that they sponsor. There's hundreds of thousands of people in Aspen, Colorado, during one of their ski events. And I just don't think we produce the numbers at at the shoot level that's, you know, I'm afraid Monster looks at it and goes, well, you know, I don't know. Go to Yankton, South Dakota for outdoor nationals. They're not doing that. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, and I even asked yeah. one of our marketing professionals that question. I asked her in here, you know, do you even know where Yankton is? And she's clueless, you know. And um,
1: Yeah, and, you know, oh, man. And this it sucks, is, but. This is one of those topics where, you know, individually, like, I think you see people, like Matt Sussman, I'm pretty sure is someone in the industry who has non endemic sponsors. Oh, yeah. And that's really freaking cool. Yeah. The issue is, I think, for it to really change big Yale. It's not where just me oh, personally needs a non-endemic sponsor, and Bridger needs his own non-endemic sponsor. We need these non-endemic sponsors to come in and sponsor NFAA USA, and, USARC mm-hmm. and ASA. That's what we need, mm-hmm. and you know, I feel like I don't know if the if those I feel like those organizations do care and they're doing their job. So I'm not going to say that they're not. It's right. a hard thing to pull off, and like I said, when they can go to football and they can say oh well we aired this game this time and we had this many views on tv there was this many tickets sold like they have exact numbers that are through the roof right. as far as like why they would want to be a sponsor for the nfl or college football or any of those other things but right. what can we bring to the table that's worth them dumping in x amount of dollars yep. and so you know it's a hard thing because we need non endemic sponsors to grow but we also need to grow to get non endemic sponsors so yeah. it's uh, it's I feel
0: like we're just kind of in limbo right now. We are. I agree 100%. You look at the three organizations, and I've said this forever until until some guys move on, gal, guys and gals move on out of those organizations, I just think okay. we're going to be stagnant. I you mean, there's, there's too much of the me, what the me syndrome in those, and need a, in my opinion. A
2: Dana White to come in and buy yeah. everything and run it, a visionary.
0: <laughs> You know, who's going to go look at things and go, "What? Well, let's let's really well, flip this thing upside down on his head.
2: I don't, that Dana's a good example. He took the UFC, bought mm-hmm. it for, what, four or $500,000 and yeah. sold it for $4.5 and, and do
0: you remember when he first came span? on, when he first came on, all the traditionalists, the boxing guys who you look at boxing, you know, who wants to watch a bunch of guys beat themselves up and bleed all over the mat? That's just not, it's never going to sell. It's never going to work. And he said, F that <laughs> and put it on. Yeah. And now look at it, it's boxing is an archaic dead
1: sport yeah it's it's crazy like and i man i just sit back and i hope that like you know that we'll be there someday like i want that so bad for archery and i would be willing to do whatever it took you know what i mean to make that happen not just for me but for the sport the sport i do not even care if it was for asa and i don't even shoot it like gosh that would be so cool and so you know i think A lot of business stuff is just all about timing, being at the right place at the right time, the right people. And I just hope that sooner rather than later, like, it just kind of comes together and happens for archery. Because it's going to be one of those things where out of nowhere, it's like, bam, this just came together.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because we've we've actually, I talked to my CFO about this, and we're growing, our, our shop's getting crazy big. And we've talked about... You know, he told me, he said, hey, I'm going to put him on notice here, so I hope he listens to this. But he told me in January, he said, Scott, I'll give you $10,000 and just an added prize money. Go build a tournament. And uh, I talked to Bridger about it and said, you know, and then I kind of – it morphed into I've been kind of leaning on, hey, let's let's do a all-women's pro tour, pro circuit, or, or tournament here in Texas. Let's get away some serious money. Maybe let's thousand, eight thousand $6,000, 8000 in first-place prize money. Because um, yep. I, I do believe that you guys are – I think the market's missing the chance to utilize you all and your skill sets. You know, honestly, you're a pretty young lady, and, and to, to really generate and drive some adoption rate within the sport. And I think that we're missing Yeah,
1: it. so I had done a podcast with Greg about women's pay in the sport and stuff. So, I mean, I, a lot of what I think about this has already been out there. And, and I think the women are – doing a good job at making a change like one thing i had pointed out was obviously the numbers in the sport Like that's a given obviously there's more men second market influence okay there's more men there's more depth like even the tournaments like you said the big show is always the men so Mm -hmm. it just kind of has that you know idea behind it but then the other thing was knowing the equipment knowing your product and (laughs) for a lot of years like a lot of the women didn't work on their own stuff, didn't know what they were doing. It was like, yeah, my bow feels weird, but I don't know why. (laughs) And I feel like that is what kills us as a division or, you know, kills our credibility, I would Mm -hmm. say, within the industry. Um, These companies are paying us to represent their products. And if you don't even know how and why you set their Mm products the way you do, how can you accurately sell those? Like you, you just can't. Right. And that's kind of been the case for women. A lot of the women that I've seen, and I'm not even being mean. Like I've, like it's it's true, and they know it. Like certain ones would be like, "Oh yeah, that's me, like for sure." I well, mean,
2: when uh, I when I going off that, when I was shooting for Matthews and uh, working with Derek and those guys a lot, like whenever I'd go on kind of a scouting mission or whatever with somebody, the first thing I'd always ask is how well somebody knew their equipment. And for me, yeah, like. like I remember we were looking at one archer, and she. I was watching her shoot one day, and the first thing she did, she shot three arrows, pulled outside Allen Richards, and started moving all kinds of shit around. Oh, dang it. Mark that. That's and okay. the, <laughs> she was moving all kinds of stuff around, and then after three arrows, fix it all up, boom, brought her groups back together. I was like, well, I we probably should throw something her way because she knows what the heck she's doing. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, and that's what you want. Like, if you're selling a product, you should understand it.
1: 100%. And, like, it's not just people are like, oh, well, why do you, I don't know, even things like, hey, I've been long modding my bow or short pegging it, like, simple things like that. Like, I'm no joke, this is a funny story. I actually had some girls call me one time, and they were trying to adjust their draw length, and they didn't realize that there was a module and a draw stop peg. So they shortened the draw stock peg, didn't move the module, and couldn't figure out why there was no let off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, did you move the module? And they're like, "What? A, what's a module? Yeah. <laughs> now, let me just tell you, they were on the UMS shooting team. The yeah, United yeah. States archery team, top four, going to World Cup.
3: Yeah.
1: Didn't know what a freaking module was. I'm not kidding. This is a true story. Like, I think it's funny. But, like, what the heck? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how are you going to sell that bow or explain your bow or your setup or your other equipment if you can't? change your drawing right so that's one of those things like when i was younger like 12 13 14 i didn't want to learn i was like no dad do it for me kind of thing but man as you get older and you start traveling and you're trying to get to the next level like if something feels weird on my bow i need to know how why what how to fix it Mm -hmm. what you know what all those kind of things or it's i don't know i would drive me nuts not knowing i call me type a because i obviously am but I don't know. So for me, one thing I, and I, on Greg's podcast, I said, this is a call out to the women. Like, man, I'm not trying to be mean. Obviously I, a thousand percent support women in archery, but learn like if your husband, your boyfriend, the local shop is working on your stuff, you better be right there over their shoulder asking questions. How do you do this? Why do you do this? Hey, let me try. Why don't you watch me? I'm going to try it and help me as I go. Things like that, Mm -hmm. rather than just here, fix it.
0: Hashtag know your bow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, is. It's, I don't know. It's, I think that is what's really going to change, make a big change for women in archery. And we're getting there. Like, there's a lot of women now that are working on their own stuff. And, man, that's awesome. Um, I, I can honestly say I'm one of those as well. And I want more women to, to be that way. And, dude, I answer questions with them all day long. Like, if mm-hmm. they have questions and need stuff, it's like, yeah, this is how you do it. And I love getting questions from girls. because. Right. That means that they want to know, that they care, that they're trying to learn. Exactly. And I think that's
0: great. You know, you brought up something a second ago um, I want to key on. You know, you talked about, like, there's more men in archery, and I agree with that 100%. Um, but, Mike, you know, from I'm going to use Texas, and I've been, you know, shooting here in the state. We've watched, you know, if you ever go to the, the Texas State Indoor Tournament, we'll use it as an example. And so you get to see the line. Um, I've watched the women and kids line double, triple, quadruple over the last four years. And I think the guys' line has stayed static. It's not, it's the, they're not moving the needle that much. But overall, in the industry, there are more men shooting than women. But you, you, to you, you brought up a great point. We don't have any data to substantiate that, other than the fact yeah. that I can say I see it at every tournament. You know, Outdoor nationals, look at the, the line is growing, I think, with more women and kids than it is with guys. I mean, heck, the guys' oh. senior division in outdoor last year in August, there just weren't that many guys out there. I mean, honestly.
1: So I think target archery, you asked at the beginning of the podcast, you were saying we'll talk about the industry and how we think it's doing and stuff. And I think this is pretty much in line with that topic is I would say if you talk to everyone, they're like, man, the hunting market's down, target industry's okay, but most people make their money on the hunting stuff, 100%. So I think target archery's growing because it's people are seeing it on TV shows, they're seeing it in movies, and people that have never – been hunters are coming in and shooting target archery so we're finally getting people that aren't just outdoor hunting based to shoot target archery and I think that's the way that target archery needs to go Mm -hmm. obviously we're always going to have the hunters as part of that but I think we need to be um encouraging both sides to be there to really push target archery to its full potential now the one issue is it's not an issue I mean it's the truth is that I, I, there was a company that I talked to before, a bow company, and I'd shop to them and they were saying like, yeah, 97% of our sales are hunting bows and under 3% of our sales are target bows. And so the idea of target archers um, only selling to target archers is not good either. Like if that right. was the case, we wouldn't be making what we make. Like right. we have to then cross over and be able to market ourselves and sell to hunters and to people who are buying the hunting equipment. Because that's really where most of the money in our little tiny industry you know, in Mm -hmm. big scale is coming from. right, And so it's just such an interesting dynamic there. Someone said to me yesterday, they said, when a company makes a car, they don't just set the car on the lot and say, my car's better than other ones. They take it to the racetrack and they prove Mm -hmm. that their car's faster than the other cars. Then people go to the lots and buy it. Right, And so that's kind of what I feel target our tree is for the hunting market. The hunters can watch everything that's going on in the target side and go, dang, you know, Botex dominating or quite dominating, you know, take your pick, whatever. Right. And that hopefully influences their decision when they go into the local bow shop to purchase their hunting bow. Well and, and the bottom line, that's what we are looking
0: at. And I would argue with that manufacturer, and all of them are are guilty of this in my opinion. It's a direct correlation of where their marketing is. Their marketing centered around TV commercials, brand adding in within magazines on social media it's 92 97% hunting and 2 to 3% target archery. Of course you're going to get more sales in that. I'd love to see one of those big 5 big 6 manufacturers take a risk and go out there and market the heck out of their target stuff. You know, flip flip the switch, make it 50-50 and see what it does for their sales. I think those they would see a big pickup and that's what brings more people into archery. Mm-hmm. You know, hunting is so polarizing right now because of the whole you know, PETA, Democrat, you know, the Democratic movement, that's out there, and, and it's... Literally
3: not... just everything that's
0: happening oh, in the yeah. world right now. yeah. Absolutely, okay. yes. <laughs> Every single thing is happening in the world, and it makes it very polarizing. Hell, Bridger has told me numerous times, and I'm not there yet, but he says, hey, we're never going to see a time where we're going to see shooting foam animals on TV because of that that polarizing effect that hunting, you know, is correlating with the target world, even though we're not, you know, we're not... We're not advocating hunting in that. It's a game. It's a sport. It's a game, but the connection. Yeah. The connection. For some people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's...
1: I actually was in my local shop here, the Rack the other day, and there was some ladies in there getting a lesson, and um, they're shooting targets or whatever. And I was saying, "Hey guys, like there's like all these awesome 3D ranges around here because we have courses like Redding all over, right? And so I was saying, "Like hey, the tournaments are starting. Here's the schedule. You can go do this. And one of the ladies was like oh, my gosh, I couldn't shoot a foam animal. I couldn't shoot an animal. I said it's foam. It's a target. It's just – I just couldn't – I just Oh, the thought of that would just kill me. And yeah. literally, like, inside, I'm, like, gagging, right? Like, oh, I just threw up my mouth a little bit because right. I think that's ridiculous. Right. But also then I had to stop and take a step back and go, look, this this girl's shooting archery. Yep. She <laughs> wants to be a target archer.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, I'm glad that she wants to be in the industry, and who am I to judge her for right. not, you know – wanting to shoot foam
3: animals
1: so it's just weird because growing up in a outdoor hunting family and you know i can't even fathom the idea that people would have an issue shooting a fake foam animal right but i just saw literally three days ago or something like the right no right before vegas i saw that like comment made with my own eyes and it was like Mm -hmm. wow yeah okay yeah i never even thought about that
0: before it's it's the world we live in unfortunately (laughs) so Uh, you know I want to go full circle and come back around um, just because I know these are the questions that a lot of our youngsters are looking for. Um, What's your uh, what is your typical tournament prep? I mean, what did you do to get ready for Vegas? I mean, and what I'm looking for there is that, you know, because this is a big topic of discussion around here is, you know, how many arrows are you shooting per day? You know, are you practicing mental management, blah, blah, blah? Or is it just going through the motions for you?
1: So for me, I would say my entire archery life, I've geared way more work towards mental management side of stuff than I have the act like the act of actually shooting. Um, Now, for indoor, it's nice. Like I can normally, when my house isn't in pieces, shoot in my house, which is really great. But um, honestly, I didn't do a whole lot of prep at home. I just shot a lot of tournaments. And you know, at each event, I'd make a small change here or there. Like, you know what? I'm gonna maybe change my timing a half twist, put my top cam a little ahead so I can pull into it a little harder. Stuff like that. Um, Added a couple weights on my front bar. Obviously, switching releases. I was kind of bouncing around with that, moving my thumb button around, and kind of making changes. But the week before Vegas, we got back from Lancaster on Tuesday. So i was here like tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday and then monday tuesday and i flew to vegas wednesday right so seven days let's say yep. i shot twice
0: you just wanted to wind Two down days. yeah
1: and i shot probably 90 arrows each day that i shot I was so there. you're kind of and on so cruise I control was, right now yeah like i wasn't in there grinding shooting 10 games a day every single day like here's the other thing like I work at home and have other jobs and other things in school and stuff going on so I can't just necessarily sit around and shoot all day every day right um you know but even if I could I I wouldn't like I don't want to use the other stuff as an excuse as to why I'm not shooting because I could find the time I just I have never needed to shoot that much it's just enough to keep my stamina up and you know make sure that I'm not weak. My side picture is moving more from, you know, not being strong kind right, of thing. Right, And if I shoot enough to keep that up, then I'm usually good. That's
0: cool. So another crazy question. What do you, when you're on the line, what are you thinking about? What do you think about in between so, every arrow?
1: A good day when uh, I'm not having a panic attack like in <laughs> Vegas, pretty much nothing. And, like, in between, in between <laughs> arrows, I'm literally thinking random stuff like, oh, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch later. And no like, kidding. Oh, um, I have a homework assignment. to do. Like, I, I'm i not stressing about archery at all. Right. And then the way that I've always mentally trained is that I'm not going to be focused until I go to draw my bow back. Gotcha. Like, I'm way too type A kind of person to, like, think mental focus for a whole day or a whole round it right. would just drain me and yeah. so i'm like i've always trained that right before i draw the bow back i take deep breath i look at the target that is when i want my let's say like shot sequence i guess or whatever you know right. mental whole thing the zone whatever to kick in um i'll shoot my arrow thinking usually nothing <laughs> and then i'm back to whatever right? yeah. and at that point it doesn't really matter now one thing I use that I fall back on, and you can probably, some of the video I saw from Vegas, you can actually see it. I'm, like, sitting there kind of bobbing my head and stuff. Like, I'll sing in my head <laughs> if I'm being super negative or hypercritical of myself or mm-hmm. stressed, right. which doesn't happen often. But when it does, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just sing because you can't think two thoughts at once. So if you're singing a song, you can't be thinking all those things you shouldn't be.
0: Right. That's actually smart. <laughs> Adam Levine, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. No joke. No, I used to when I was younger. Like I started and I would sing a song and then I tried to go. I read that Lanny's book with winning in mind and she right. said like something whatever. So my little saying I would say was believe in yourself, nothing but X, I can, I will. And that was basically my shot timing and then my shot should break. But I would literally catch myself when I was saying words, I'd be like, believe in yourself, nothing but X, I can, yeah, right, you can't, you're aiming in the six. Like, you know, (laughs) weird things like that would just creep on in, and I was like, wow, that kind of sucks. Or like, oh, yeah, right, it's windy, and you're blowing seven to seven rings. And so for me, the words, like saying words wasn't as beneficial with how my brain works because it was really easy for bad words or bad things, you know, to creep in. Where a song has a rhythm and yeah. so to, to think normal words you have to completely stop the song break the rhythm and think something different mm-hmm. and I needed a higher level of control with my brain so that's why I still am using the song to this day rather than like a saying
0: right so you're you know that's pretty cool because because you are like a polar opposite when we talked to Linda about it because um, you're you're you like to check out in between ends or in between arrows so you're not completely mentally screwed at the end of a round uh, which yep. yeah I couldn't imagine the pressure that you guys are creating yourselves has got to be just monumental and it's mm-hmm. that's crazy that's awesome though that is so like, cool
1: I feel like in between arrows I'm, I kind of just talk to myself in yeah. my head yeah I'll be like okay that one was good or like hey you held that one a little long you should probably speed up like I'm literally just having a conversation right. with myself, and then right. I start the next arrow then it's blank, but you, and I don't want to think.
0: But you don't start stressing out if your mind starts to wander, you're like yeah, I think I'm gonna have pizza tonight, maybe or something like that.
1: No, yeah. no, no, I don't care. That's cool. That's a great way to as manage soon it. as I go to draw back, like you're I'm
0: all business, Okay. Yeah, you
1: know,
2: yeah. If you're thinking about lunch in the middle of your shot, that's probably a bad move. Yeah, <laughs> I've exactly. done that before, and then it usually oh, oh, oh god, it mate. goes off, and then oh my god. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: That actually yeah, happened good, to me. Good, good shot, low seven. So, yeah. When uh, (laughs) there's a joke with that, Bridger, I'm sure knows that one. Oh my god, that
2: Um, long that was six or seven years ago. Harry Bass, (laughs) there. What happened? Oh, oh, Henry Bass. Uh, Oh, Henry, gotcha. Yeah,
1: that's long story. Anyway, I feel like people, anyone can say they have those days where all of a sudden everything just works, it's effortless and just happens. 99% of the time I would say it's probably a day where they just weren't thinking, they were just doing. Like Mm They were just shooting, they just let their subconscious do its thing. And so that's kind of the the thing I run on. It's like, as long as my conscious mind isn't hindering my subconscious mind, I'm fine. If my conscious mind gets to the point that I'm thinking things I shouldn't be thinking, I'm just going to revert back to thinking. Right. And that's literally, I'll fall back on that probably forever. And it might be I'll shoot a full FIDA and maybe two arrows of the 72, I sing Right. It could be the fourth arrow on the seventh end. And for whatever reason, I'm just mentally not there on that arrow. And I'll sing. (laughs) And then I'm right back to good again. And so I fall back on that. You know, it's not like a whole weekday or a whole week round. It's typically just a couple arrows here or there that I need that little extra conscious mind distraction. Right.
0: So do you... Are you? Do you consider yourself to be a fierce competitor? I mean, like, you hate losing?
1: I, I do hate losing. <laughs> um, I think anybody that does what we do hates losing. Right. But one thing that I've said to people that come into the sport is, if you hate losing to the point that it makes you miserable, that you aren't happy, that you are so hard on yourself, then archery isn't a sport for you because you're going to lose way more often than you win.
0: That's some really good and advice. So
1: while I hate losing, I, my biggest thing is I'm going to learn from it. Right. And, you know, so I try and, and look at it like, dang, I just lost. I'm obviously not happy I lost, but okay. What came out of that? What did I learn? What can I do better? How can I fix it to where maybe next time I won't lose? Mm. And so, you know, I, I see it. It's hard. I think when people jump into the pro division, maybe let's say they go from winning the junior division all the time, then all of a sudden they shoot the pro division and they're not winning and they're discouraged and they get burnt out and they leave. Right. Like I hate seeing that and it sucks. And I think it's almost bad when people shoot the kid division all the time and they're constantly winning and they expect that Mm -hmm. because that's not realistic once you hit the pro level. Right. Like the wins are are divided between a whole lot of really incredible archers and that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. And so – You know, I think it's, you just have to be realistic with yourself and say, look, I'm not going to win them all. I can't win them all. I'm going to, you know, be really happy about the ones I did win and the ones that I don't. I'm definitely getting better to hopefully win the next one. Right. And that's just how you have to look at the whole thing all year long and try not to get discouraged. You know, I got discouraged this last year, like for a while there. I wasn't winning. I was like second, third, third, second, second, third. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh my goodness, like (laughs) what is going on? And then, you know, you kind of take a step back and you're like, all right, look, you're not necessarily in a slump. It's like you're consistent. You're doing well. Right. You know, someone else just keeps edging you out. And it's not letting that kind of stuff get to you and kind of knock you down right. that will help you long term.
0: Well, and plus the women's group is you guys are pretty hyper competitive. I mean, between you and Sarah and, and Tanja and, and, uh, and Linda Cho, I mean, you guys are any of you guys can win a tournament at any given time.
1: We literally say that, like when it comes to match play, anyone can yeah. in 15 mm-hmm. arrows, right. and even in a normal day, like it's whichever one of us has a better day that's right. going to come out on top. Yep. We're all about equal archers, you know. Yep. And one thing oh, I love this topic, but the the growth and scores in the women's division over the last few years has been freaking insane. Yep. And like I used to go out and win tournaments and not even be happy with how I shot. Right? Be like, man, that was a struggle, and I would win. Now, if I don't have like the best day of my life, you're third. You know, it's like, <laughs> like darn it. Redding, last, you know, Redding last
2: year, up. Redding last year is a perfect example of that. Or even like Redding in your guys' division, the last like five years right. has been perfect because like the last five years you've set a new record damn near every year. And then so, last like, year I you shot
1: 1529 the last three years, and mm-hmm. was like, and that that ties Jamie Vanada's record of the course. And I said, all right, my goal this year is to shoot a 1530. And I shot a fifteen thirty two, like I I way surpassed the goal that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And Linda, came and then my Linda ass came in fifteen thirty three, and I was just like, "Wow!" Like, you met your goal, but you dang, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like I literally the goal I set, like was, the best goal I set for myself, right. wasn't even enough to win the tournament. Right. And in one year's time, that jump happened to where mm-hmm. my goals aren't even good enough. You know what I mean? Like you have to completely stop and rethink your whole process like everything and be like dang all right a 700 is not good enough i need eight well, now when did you, that happen yeah overnight yeah okay like-
0: you, know, you know what's cool about that though that creates and one thing i've noticed after i've been paying a lot of attention I mean, jason sitting next to me is, has really brought me at least into the world of usa archery it's something i did as a kid a lot and then when 3d came out i was done i was hooked and um getting back into it i noticed that what's cool with, like I said, the women's division and even the men's division, like with Jimmy Lutz last year, he just poured it on towards the end of the season. Yeah. There's so much parody. Um, and I'm and not knocking ASA, but it's the same four guys or two guys really. I mean, lately it's been the same two to three guys week in, I yeah. mean, month in and month out. And sometimes it gets kind of boring. It's just like, okay, it's a, I'm not naming any names. It's a Levi McCarthy show, you know, and, and uh, who's gonna have the better day today and, and I love the parody. And I think it's even happening in the men's known, pretty much. I mean Perkins, yeah, he he was pretty dominant last year, mm-hmm. but still in your division, Bridge, you guys had different guys winning weekend. Yeah, week
2: yeah, for the most part. The I most mean part, Perkins yeah. did really well a couple of years ago. Um but I mean usually there's always Jesse, two there's or three years always ago. like eight to twelve guys right. that could win any given weekend depending on who does well.
0: And I think that's what keeps the sport fresh. Because of the parody. And like I said, the top five women, you guys can shoot against each other, and it's a like coin toss. Who's going to win this week? Who's shooting the best? And that's what I think yeah. is intoxicating. And,
1: and you you often see new people coming into the Target world. Like you said, James Butts is a good example. I think Alexis Ruiz is a good example. Yeah, Alexis, yeah. Um, back in the, like, a few years ago, Brianna Theodore, Sophia Strand. Like, you'll have Cassidy Cox, Lexi Keller, like, you know, we were all shooting, and it was like at the same time Cassie and Lexi came in and, yeah. and made a wave. And then, yeah. you know, Alexis and Sophia came or Brianna came in, and there was a wave. And so every year or two we get a new wave, and now it's uh, Savannah Vanderweer just came in. Yeah. First uh-huh. year, makes the World Cup team. And yeah. So it's really nice. Again, known versus unknown, whatever, Target, 3D. But there's people that, you know, they're doing work in maybe the junior division. Oh, we did we
4: lose her? Did we lose her? I still have her.
0: Oh. No. Oh, oh, there you go. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. So you were saying the junior division?
1: Oh, I was saying like Savannah Vanderweer was shooting junior, first year as a senior and she makes the world cup team. Yeah. Um, so there's always new people coming into the target archery and making waves and, and you know, building a name for themselves and winning tournaments and I think that's what's so cool about what we do. Like I hate I was just in an argument with someone on Instagram yesterday about Oh, you don't want new pros coming in because then they take your money or it's oh, harder Lord. to win tournaments. Yeah, and right. that is, like, the farthest thing from the truth. Right. Like, we want more people. We want new people. Like, we actually want this growth. So I hate when people think that about us. Um, but, man, every year when we get a wave of new ones, it's like, wow. Like, where did they come from? Right. How did they get so good so quick? <laughs> exactly. Like, that's nuts, you yeah. know? Yeah, and and, and, I think that's what's neat about about FETA in a way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it is, it's cool, and that's why I've enjoyed being a participant in it and actually going to the tournaments with Jason and watching it because there's a lot of parody in comparison. Because like in the women's, you know, unknown world in ASA, it is literally the same four to five girls every tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a shame. and they, that, they
1: all shoot the same bokeh. Absolutely, <laughs> Emily,
0: Sharon, Kara. You know, it's the same ones: Kara, Kaylee, Kaylee, Johnston. Yeah,
1: and they're they're
0: dominant. They're They're awesome. Their stuff figured out. Not knocking them; they're amazing at what they do. That's for dang sure. So, but I like I said, I think the parody is what keeps the sport somewhat fresh. And like you said, on any given Sunday, you know, you never know. Um, That's kind of cool. So, so closing it out a little bit here. What do you do to wind down when you get done shooting? Like in Vegas, you just check out. You don't want to talk about archery. You don't just leave your bow alone and go to the Um, movies
1: i mean i wish i pretty much stay in the booth talk to people you know do do the other side of my job besides just competing right. in the tournament but um uh, it i i'm um how do i say this so i don't stress as much while i'm on the line like once i get out there and i'm shooting i'm good it's the in between It's like in between days or the waiting mm-hmm. like i am like sick with stress <laughs> Like, I freak out, like, waiting until the next day to shoot. Right. And it's the weirdest thing. Like, I can barely eat. Like, I have no appetite. I'm just, like, a ball of horrid nerves. And, like, people can't tell, but I am. And then as soon as I get down there and I get to shoot the first few practice arrows, it's like, okay, yep, we're going. And it's funny because even if the day is great or if the day is really terrible, once I'm shooting, I'm fine. Right. The anticipation of waiting to shoot just eats me alive.
3: No
0: kidding. So
1: I'm actually kind of trying to work on that because it's like, man, I don't want to be miserable all year, basically, you know, like in between every day of <laughs> right. the tournament. I'm only happy 20 like 20 day. days. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so, yes, I'm only happy a couple hours I'm on the line. and are right. Just, <laughs> that nauseous. Right. Much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's something that I don't know. I didn't used to have that. And then I think the reason I'm there now is when people start – Expecting you to win or expecting you to perform well, I think the more that expectation grew, the harder or the worse that got for me. The harder the in between got because once I'm shooting, I can't change it. It's either good or it's not. It's fine. Right. But the weight of man, I hope tomorrow's good. I hope my shots are smooth. I hope tomorrow's a good aiming day. It's that waiting and wondering um, that that kind of gets me. Right.
0: Right. So what do you do besides archery to have fun? Anything?
1: no know, no, no, no? <laughs> uh, movies, not really. <clears throat> no Hunting, like, I'm hunting. well home. Like this is what, well, I hunt. Yeah, that would be that would be the one thing. Yeah. So whenever I'm not competing, if I can be hunting, I'm like super stoked. That's cool. Um, that's one thing that doesn't stress me out about archery. It's just really cool. but right. Dude, we just don't have a lot of time. Right. Like it's so hard. Like my brother will be like, "Hey, you want to go duck hunt?" Or "Hey, you want to go fishing?" Or. You know, and I'm like, hey, I have two days. I'm sorry, I got to get ready for the next event. I got to work. I got homework, and I and I got to shoot. And so, like, so much of our lives, and this isn't just me. This is so many other archers. Well, obviously, we love what we do. We are making other sacrifices, other places. Right. Maybe we don't get to go to the movies with our girlfriends, or we don't get to go get the pedicures that they do, you know, every other Saturday because we're gone or we're working. You know, and in a different way. So the thing is, is I love archery. So. It's not that I really need a break from it. I love the getting the break of like the stress in between the event. Mm-hmm. But I truly love it and I love the people. I love the events. Like it's it's been my whole life. Gotcha. So I there isn't much else I want to do, you know?
0: So you've mentioned homework a couple of times. Are you going after your degree in college or
1: I am. I'm uh doing a degree in technical management through Devry University right now.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Are you wanting to take that into the industry to some degree later?
1: No, i i have actually we'll have to do a podcast a little later when i can (laughs) get gotcha 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 Um, but there's something really cool that kind of came up recently that i'll get to be you know doing in the industry awesome um but really i am realistic to the point that i know i can't shoot forever right like i'm gonna ride the wave as long as i can but at some point it's not gonna be good enough like all these kids coming up are gonna start kicking my butt oh yeah time to find another way to make money. yep and so pretty much in today's world, if you don't have a degree, you can't even begin to apply for jobs. Right. And so I just said, I'm I'm doing my uh, bachelor's right now. I think I'm actually going to go through and do my master's there as Dang. well. Dang. Everything goes in this plan. Yeah. I just want to be ready. So if something goes wrong in archery or, you know, whatever, it's time to take a step back in the future that mm-hmm. I have a backup plan. Yeah. And I, I'm not, you know, 35 or 40 going, oh, my gosh, now what? I have no nothing to fall
0: back on. Right. That's awesome. No, that's that's a a great, I think it's a great way to plan, plan for the future. And, you know, I've always told our young people, try to find a way to monetize something that you love. Um, Because, you know, I've been, I've been in corporate America forever and then took a monster pay cut to open an archery shop. Definitely not making a lot of money, but hey, I haven't worked a day in four years. (laughs) That's what I like to say. Because it is, it's a labor of love for sure
1: life is too short to do yeah. something that you don't like so Absolutely. i would like to like let's say i get jobs in the industry like i help run a youth camp here in town i'm a hunter ed instructor and we teach the kids archery rifle shotgun black powder fishing they get their hunting license like i love that and so I, you know being a part of that is something that i would want to do this new thing that popped up that we'll talk about later like it's going to be so awesome And so you know i I've been lucky enough to be able to work within the industry so far and not even for bow companies, you know, or, yeah. you know, archery company, right. other things in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to, to be there. right? Like for me to go do a normal desk job, nothing to no do way. with archery outdoors would yeah. be so weird <laughs> to just consume so much of my life now. Like right. I would probably be lost. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I don't I think I, I don't think you here. could do corporate behind a desk in a cubicle. I'm not seeing Paige Pierce doing that. There's no way. <laughs>
1: yeah, everyone says that. Like just with yeah, probably not. You like, probably do kick, do kick button, button sales. sales. Yeah. I mean I have to do some of that with my job and like yeah. I do pretty good at it, but I know okay, this is the work boring part of my job, mm-hmm. but then, then I get to go teach the kids this stuff and be a yeah. part of that and it's really great. So you know, like there's always the, the not fun part of the job, and then but you're doing it for the right reasons right. or the the end game there, and, and, I think, and that's what I really like. I think about it's
0: really, I, it I, I think it's really cool that you're doing a lot with kids and trying to grow the sport through the youth. I mean, I, I, that's a big part of what we do here in this shop, and we're we're looking for the kids, and they're the future. And uh, yeah, props to you for doing that. That takes a lot. I know that for sure. Yeah, of course, I I love it. <laughs> yeah, cool beans. Well, listen, um, we're gonna. Shut it off, I think, Jason. We're at about an hour and 30. Man, it's, this has been a blast because you are crazy easy to talk with, um, tons of information. You can sense your passion for the sport just in how you communicate it back to the listener, I think. and um, This yeah. has been, I think, going to be one of our – this is going to be a slam dunk next week releasing this one. <laughs> I think so. Uh, uh, congratulations!
1: No, I, anytime anyone wants to talk about archery, I'm like, heck yeah, let's, let's do it. Well, you
0: know what's funny, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there, and I want you to be honest with this, okay? Because I know I can think of one young lady who like idolizes you, and she gets next to you and she freaks out. She actually stood next to you this past week in Vegas, um, and and she's like, gosh, I I I don't want to talk to her because I'm gonna make her mad because she's probably focused and this oh. and that. And I was like, you know, just just rub elbows a little bit, you know, talk to her and see, I mean, do you, is that something you don't like to do in the middle of a tournament or during your, your downtime or is that something that you embrace?
1: Oh no. So the downtime, like no brainer. We're talking to people and doing the whole thing. And that's what it's all about. Right. If I'm down there shooting with somebody on the line, like anyone that shoots with me knows, I'm probably one of the more talkative, chatty Cathy. Like I'll sit in the match with someone when I'm on the line. I'm all focused, but now we're walking down to score our arrows with the match, yeah. and I'm like, "Yeah, how's life? How's it going? How's your dog? How's you know?" And they're like, "Leave me alone. I'm trying to focus." That's you know, awesome. Kind of things. A lot of the women or people like do have that, you know, mentality. If you're head to head against someone, it's like, you know, all business until the match is over. Where for me, I can turn it off and end, you know, on the line, off the line, kind of thing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and it's good. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind at all. The only thing that is the only negative, if we're being honest, is like if you're in, like, let's say you're shooting Cincinnati or Vegas, and you're down there on the floor and you're waiting, and someone comes up who's not actively shooting, that's trying to talk to you or take a picture or do something like that. Right. And you're like, hey, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I kind of got to go to the line and shoot. Because then you go to the line, and you're like, and you're rushing, going crap. and They're waiting for me. Right. You know that. Like, I kind of wish that maybe that wouldn't happen so much. Right. Um, But time, like other than that, like in between the ends or, you know, breaks, any anytime before and after shooting, like I am more than willing to talk to anybody.
0: That's cool. That's awesome. Well, Paige, we really appreciate it. Congratulations on your win. Uh, congratulations on your role. Man, you're just killing it, like I said, this year. And hopefully you'll uh, continue to do so and have just a great yeah, season. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And, I uh,
3: appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No,
0: we appreciate it. And hopefully we can do a Paige Pierce 2.0 sometime in the future. Um, maybe maybe get Tate Monster on with her because we're gonna do that with Lyndon. We're gonna do that with Lyndon and Steve. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, that would be awesome. let you guys blast each other on on tape.
1: <laughs> I should probably be. It's Valentine's Day today. I should probably give him a break. not blast him. <laughs> <That> was <good. laughs>
2: I was gonna say. Speaking of girlfriends, uh, are you doing anything for Tate today? Since it is Valentine's yeah. Day. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I'd probably get him some flowers. And yeah. Chocolate and chocolate you
2: know, typical. That's so awesome. I mean, you did win like $40,000 last weekend, so you should probably get him something.
0: Hey, you know what? Yeah, I should probably take him to dinner. Well, that brings me to a question, because we asked Linda this, so we're going to kind of go there with you. I mean, what's the one thing that Tate does that drives you bananas? Oh, hmm.
1: is driving. Oh. He is the worst driver and any time that I call him out on it, then he gets mad, and it's a fight. Like, literally, I let him drive my car yesterday for, like, the first time since he's been out here. And he drove it into the ditch before we even made it off the <laughs> road. And I'm like, ah, ditch, ah! And then he just looked at me, like, "Stop talking to me. Yet he actually <laughs> did something bad. And so I hate it because he won't let me correct him, and he is wrong.
2: In his defense, <laughs> you're, like, the, your road to get to your house, because I went there, like, two years ago...
0: The is it bad? like oh my yeah. god it's like like a it's a death trap <laughs> it's like that
2: that yeah. there's a road down in like LA or something that's the oh, yeah, 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 road. road. Yeah. It, yeah. it's like that but gravel <laughs> so if you're going fast you're screwed oh it's gnarly <laughs> and then the it's your driveway bad, your driveway is pretty cool. bad too
1: that's yeah, hilarious the driveway. I did I put the tip seal on that so it's better now but yeah no matter where we are I'm pretty sure when we were in Australia we fought the entire time because he drove and he kept, like, centering himself in the lane for where he's used to sitting in the car, but he was sitting on the other side of the car. Mm -hmm. And so he would, like, go and then be driving half in the other lane. And I'd be like, get over. And he's like, stop yelling at me. And I'd be like, (laughs) hey... You're over the line, and he's like, I know. I'm like, well, then why are you, why are you doing it? Oh, that so is hilarious. So I think that's our biggest thing, his driving.
0: That is hilarious. I love it. Well, once again, thanks a lot. We'll let you get back to your day. Um, hopefully we'll have you guys on sometime in the future. But good luck the rest of the season. And Paige, we we love you to death, and thanks again. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. See
2: ya. You
0: too. So, yeah, that was awesome. She was She was cool. Bridge, you know her pretty well. It she,
2: it, as per usual, you don't have to do a whole lot of talking. No, Paige take takes, takes of care it. of the whole podcast. We should
0: just... <laughs> in a good way.
2: In a, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Again, I love to death. I've known her for a long time, but...
4: I didn't feel the need to say one word. I just sat here and soaked it all in.
2: Yeah, we're, we're already getting the SOS from Cody here, so...
0: Yeah, um, okay. we're going to go out here in a second. But, you know, honestly, just talk about... And the reason I was asking about non-endemics because, you know, halfway through the conversation with her, I will tell you that... It was cool because the way she handles herself, the way how articulate she is. Of course, she's extremely, you know, good-looking young lady. If I'm a manufacturer, I'm trying to get Paige Pierce on my team. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, because she's well, she's
2: she's helped build Botech. Yeah, so what it is now, and that's. I, I mean, mean
0: kind of like the Levi reason. Morgan for the women's side. I mean, mm-hmm. she's she's got the whole package. I mean, you know, like you said, she could run the podcast on her own and fly with it. So that was that was a lot of fun that was um I'm excited to uh to hear uh, to see what you guys think of that
2: yeah man it was awesome I'm gonna duck out and I'm gonna go out yeah to go ahead real quick. yeah
0: um, anyways Jaybird, man we appreciate you man getting her online for with us today um I cannot wait to get this one out there I think our listeners are gonna have a blast with this one that's for sure oh absolutely yeah so anyways uh until next Friday I don't know who what or who we're doing but it'll be some good content I think maybe we're gonna do a little bit of the uh, Instagram questions that came across yeah we're
4: going to do some instagram questions some Mythbusters. yeah uh, we'll get that all put yeah. out
0: and then but, uh, work on our next guest for the next uh for the next podcast so we'll keep those rolling in yeah we
4: need to get one of the male shooters in here they're going to think we're biased
0: well you know what's fun <laughs> no or kidding. sexist extremely sexist you know what we need to do and I w- who i would want to work on is try to get brady okay i mean to shoot the 900 that he just shot in vegas for those of you who didn't know about it that was probably the most incredible feat that i've seen an archery in my lifetime well just
4: everything that he's done throughout the past year you know shooting that world record in in lima then uh all the indoor wins and top it off with vegas yeah that's in preparation for the olympics you know yeah that's a big year for him oh yeah all of this is getting him prepared and and getting him set up to go out and i honestly if, if if people ask me i got my money on brady I'm I'm, I'm I'm saying has, now. I've has, got my money on Brady for Olympic gold.
0: So has he? I don't think he's won Olympic gold yet. Has he? No, I think That's the good highest thing. he's gone was a. Uh, well, Silver. he's
4: won gold as a as a team. Okay, right. He hasn't done Not it individually. Individual. No, yeah. he got he was a bronze medalist in in Rio, mm-hmm. uh, but he has gotten uh, a gold medal in in a team event.
0: So this one is definitely on his radar yeah. coming up. That, oh yeah, and he's def arguably right now the number one archer on the planet. Yep. I mean. Hell, I'd even say top five recurve and compound. You put them together. Yeah, I mean the guy can flat out grind with a with a stick and a string.
4: Yeah, I remember two years ago in in Florida at Gator Cup, he went and shot recurve, came back in the afternoon, and shot a six ninety something with his compound after yeah. shooting recurve that morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, was, we'll work on that and that we'll crazy. we'll get some some new people
0: on here yeah and also the listeners if you all have some guests that you want us to talk with see if we can get them on the show just throw them out there and i don't care who it is let's let's get this thing rolling in the right direction as far as you know people within the industry and I, one of the things that i wanted to do to make this a little different not only talk to the pros but even get some of the people that are in the what i call the mid majors you know there's people that are living archery on a on a, on a workman type the blue collar type absolutely level. and um that's where i think that we can get a different perspective on the sport, get a different perspective on how they prepare because I think that, you know, talking with the pros is awesome because we, it gives us a, a look at what it takes to become pro and how they prepare. But yeah. when we back it up into the blue-collar work ethic type shooter, you know, we do things differently, you know, at that level. Yeah, but not
4: when – you, when you're looking at people like that, you know, what do you do – to prepare for a tournament well, you've got to take into consideration some people work nine to five nine to five yeah raise a family with four families exactly
0: you know going to missing a t-ball game on the weekend or a cheerleading competition yeah it's probably not going to happen yeah it's tough it makes it very tough to do so anyways um man we really appreciate y'all listen share it as much as you can tell everyone you can about it i you know we love where this thing's going and we're going to keep giving you some really good content and uh and hopefully make you guys happy listeners so until next week We'll see you then. We'll see you then.